that's why for me, it's about safe spaces. What are the safe spaces that we are creating for people to explore that and be supported in that? What are the communities that people can go to and turn to, to be able to go on that journey and not do it alone? Welcome to the Personal Development Without the Fluff podcast brought to you by Satori Prime. Look, if you believe that there's gotta be more to life or you find yourself zagging when others are zigging, this podcast is most likely for you. We're not here to fix you because in our opinion, you're already perfect. We are here to help you remember who you truly are. That light inside of you that you thought you lost forever. I think you know the one I'm talking about, right? That one. We're brash and blunt and give it to you straight. You'll most likely love us and hate us at the same time. And for us, that's perfect. Because what we are here to do is open your heart and expand your mind so you can live your ultimate life. And if you're wanting more support at any time or just want to interact with Guy and I, find our personal development without the fluff group on Facebook and come hang out with us and other like-minded, amazing human beings. So if you're done with fantasizing about your life and you're ready to go start living it, welcome to our show. Now let's get started. Hello, my friends. So today's iTunes review comes to us from No Moat Ads. He writes or she writes, gets to the root cause of our situation. After years of looking outside for an answer to fix my problem, I believe I have found what I was looking for. Something that would stop treating the symptoms, problems I was experiencing and get to the root cause of why I was experiencing it. This is not a band-aid approach. Rather, it will leave you feeling empowered and worthy. No moat ads. Thank you so much. That is exactly the intention of the podcast. I couldn't have said it better myself. If you email me at elon at satoriprime.com, I will get you your special gift. And if you're out there listening and you'd be willing to leave us an honest review on iTunes, I will read it and then I will send you a personalized gift as well. All right, now on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to uh, this next episode here of the Personal Development Without the Fluff podcast. With me today, I have a very special guest indeed. Um, If you're not watching this on video for any reason and it's audio, then you cannot see the super cool hat that I'm wearing or the black shirt that I'm wearing. But the irony is, is that the man I'm interviewing is also wearing a super cool hat and also a black shirt. We did not coordinate this, except I will say this, that I did wear the hat in his honor. Uh, so with me, I have uh, Adam Roa. Um, if I could do a little introduction, then you're free to fill in the blanks. Um, Adam's a, a guy that's in our, has been in our San Diego community. Um, we've kind of been orbiting each other for quite some time. I don't know if you remember this, but we actually spent some time at uh, Amateo's place like many years ago. It's Super Bowl, had, right? Super Bowl. had no idea who you were at that time, but you made an impression nonetheless. Uh, before I tell you about a little bit about his spiritual game, I just want to tell you that this man uh, has the best hipster threads ever. Like his hipster game <laughs> swag is real strong. And he's one of these guys that when you walk into a coffee shop, you're like, I want to walk up to him and find out where he shops. And eventually I'll probably do that with Adam. So he's um, <laughs> always got sweet hat. So, but let me tell you a little bit about what I know about Adam. Um, he, Honestly, he feels like a soul brother. We don't actually know each other that well, but um, 
has been doing introspective work for a long time, has made an impact on many lives. And more recently in these last few months, um, he does spoken word that's very, very powerful. And one of the videos uh, that he put out there got picked up by Goldcast. And this video has become rather viral. In fact, I watched it right before uh, this interview again, and it had 181 million views on it. Um, so that's pretty pretty profound. And because of that, he's kind of become, um, I don't know if a household name, but certainly someone that you probably uh, has skimmed, skimmed through his work maybe without knowing who he is. So I'm very excited to have him on here to just see what we get to create together. And yeah, man, uh, please welcome yourself to the show and anything you want to add about who you are, your expertise and anything like that. Oh, I appreciate that, man. Thank you for the, the kind words. And what's amazing is I've wanted to own and start my own clothing line since I was in high school. So <laughs> to, to be introduced as like a stylish individual is awesome. It's just like further reinforcement that that gets to happen uh, soon. Uh, <laughs> and so yeah, my, my name is Adam Rowe. I'm a transformational artist, which means that I use art as a way to help elevate consciousness and transform mm. lives. And um, the mediums that I do that with are spoken word poetry. That's probably the one I'm most well known for. Um, but I also use uh, music and filmmaking. And so I have a YouTube show called The Art of Choosing Love. I have a podcast called The Deep Dive with Adam Roa. And uh, in my mind, art is a technology that can, can create shifts in the collective faster than anything else, in my opinion. So uh, it's seems like the highest leverage move for me. And, and that's why I, I focus on it. And I'm so excited that it's starting to be received um, by more and more people in, in a really beautiful way. That's awesome. Um, so I was going to start us with uh, self-love, but let's start with the art piece. That actually stood out to me. I looked at just some of your uh, social media channels before getting on here. And as much as you are like a spiritual coach, I actually saw on your page, you put yourself down as an artist which I really stuck out to me because it's a, an interesting thing. So let's, let's talk about the medium of art um, as a tool for transformation. Certainly, I think, you know, in the video, the spoken word video that went viral, they used the uh, music from Inception. And, and anytime I, I get that tune from Inception, I feel like everyone just has to watch those videos. It's like a, there's something about that, that music that feels real primal and like gets into your heart. Um, I agree as far as like music or anything that, that moves quickly, right? It has to do so much with um, changing internal guidance systems. So I'm just curious, like, what do you, what do you mean by that? Like, well, how, do you, how do you see art transforming the world in that way? Well, I believe that as human beings, we are biologically predisposed to receive art at an emotional level. I think that um, most of, even right now, what I'm saying, people are hearing this and it is being filtered through the logical mind. It, mm. There's like the BS detector of like, do I believe that? Do I agree with that? Oh, okay. And then it's like the combination lock Indiana Jones thing. And after I've said enough things that people are like, I agree, I agree, I agree. They're like, okay, now I'm going to open myself up to just mm. now we have rapport. And um with art, you walk into a movie theater and you may not know who those actors are, who the director is or anything, but you've walked into a space saying, I want to have this emotional experience. I'm ready to feel something. No one walks into their favorite concert being like, I can't wait to overanalyze this performance. <laughs> Good point. And I, I feel like because um, 
it, it is a permission slip for people to feel. And with my, my time in the personal development space, I know that sustained change, embodied change actually happens when it's felt. Mm. Right, like you can logically understand why your dad not giving you the love as a child meant that you were always seeking approval from men or whatever, but until you feel it, it doesn't really shift. And so, what we have then is a technology in art that is a permission slip to create change basically instantaneously, mm. and um. It, it's just a high leverage move. And I, I look at, uh, I'm, I'm a, I geek out, I get turned on by efficiency. Uh, that is just something about me. And so when I am thinking about, it's not about right or wrong. I don't even believe in right or wrong as a, really a concept. But the question is, based on where I'm going and my intentions, is it more or less effective? Mm. I think that art is is arguably the most effective way of reaching someone at an emotional level. And so um, even looking at the poem that, that went viral, You Are Who You've Been Looking For, that poem, I could step on stage and I have stepped on stage to talk about self-love and how important it is and how it starts from giving from the overflow. And I've talked about it. And none of that goes 180 million view viral. Sure. But the fact that it rhymes and has a little bit of music, all of a sudden, yes. Because now I'm not being lectured. Now I'm not being preached at. I am receiving art and I'm feeling and I'm learning from that. And and so I think it's an example for me and reinforcement for me of like turn turn those messages into art. Yeah, I love that. There's something about... Uh, like comedy has this too, where it's like you get something that's mildly unexpected. And for whatever reason, it's like, you know, you see like a sentence going in a direction, your mind's predicting what's coming. And then you slightly move somebody over here and the mind goes, oh, that's clever. And it really pays attention to that piece and it kind of locks that in and it really remembers that. And I actually felt that with your spoken word too. It's like the way the words are threaded together, the syncopation of it, it almost, uh, you know, it's like the follow the bouncing ball. We all really like that. That's why captions are so useful online. We all like movement and kind of following along with things and singing along to songs that we know. Um, it has that element and you get kind of get a little bit of a dopamine fix because of the music and that. And I think that does create some resonance in the body that's like, oh, I could feel my love and, and like my love for myself. And in that moment where you might be dealing with something, right? I know you've gone through a lot of stuff this last year. Those little parts that help you kind of remember those pieces within yourself, I think do invigorate and bring that out more and more. I'm, I'm curious, like, um, when did you start identifying as an artist? Has this always been or is it something you kind of discovered over the years? I identified as different labels. So I moved out to Los Angeles to pursue acting. I was like, well, I'm an actor. I, and then I started um, writing scripts um, with my previous partner. And I was like, oh, now I'm a writer. Mm. But I was never artist. Artist was too broad of a thing. And it also felt like I'd, I'd never associated myself as being the creative type. I was the one who could execute within a, the parameters of acting. Great, I'm an actor. I'm not the creative type. I'm an actor. Mm. Um, and I started doing spoken word poetry and I was performing at an event where it said Adam Roa, spoken word artist. And it was the first time that I saw artists in association with my name. And I went, I am an artist. 
all right, yeah, cool. And that permission, because uh-huh. art, what is an artist? To me, an artist is someone who translates, translates the, their creative energy into tangible form right? And the creative energy, what is creative energy? Creative energy is your, your unique expression of your soul, right? Your creative energy is unique to you. Same as it's, it will, it, we could write a poem or a song or make a film about the same exact topic. We could be given the same exact prompt. It will come out completely differently totally. because your creative expression is unique. And in many ways, it's your soul's fingerprint. Mm. So, to, to be able to express it into tangible form is one of the most vulnerable things we can do. It's saying, here's my soul expressed. And so I have a lot of viewpoints on artists and artistry. And the, I, I believe that the way that we treat artists and value artists in society is a direct reflection of how we're treating the planet. Because in many ways, artists are um, showing the beauty that exists in what most people see as the mundane. Mm. And that is, if we could stop seeing the earth as being mundane and being just like a thing that we can use and seeing the beauty of it, I think collectively we'll also start to treat it with a little bit more um, sacredness. Yeah, dignity. Yeah. There, there is something about, you know, I know you've just been down in Peru um, working with medicine and stuff like that. I feel like because so much of our, um, certainly in the Western world, is centralized around urban environments that have been so disconnected from nature or mystical practices that it's like it's like trying to describe love to somebody who's never been in love. To have a deep connection with the earth, you know, you got to go out and actually get the connection with the earth. Like you said, feel these experiences that's been uh, dynamically missing. I think for a long time, I, I, I really enjoyed what you said about artistry. Um, that's also something that I feel like regularly gets put under attack because it just doesn't become a priority in like the public school systems or whatever, because, you know, our our society is so much more about trying to create sameness than, um, adhering to and accepting uniqueness as like a thriving way, like something that actually makes us great. It, it's almost pitched to something that doesn't make us great. And I think most of the time it's, and I think this is where we can kind of pivot a little bit to self-love. People have this belief, I think, that if you think like me, feel like me, act like me, I'll feel safe. Right? We've kind of of set up the world this way. Well, it's, it's it's, it's a biological mechanism. Like the safest place to be is with the herd. Plain and simple. That's the safest place for you to be. And so we are still a part of nature. We have biology that is running. And so in many ways, as we have evolved as beings and have had our genetics passed down to us primarily by the humans who had more fear, right? Like the humans who actually feared that unknown sound, they're the ones that when, when that unknown sound could have been a saber tooth tiger, they're the ones that, that lived. And so the, the, (laughs) the fear based mentality of moving through the world has been a survival mechanism that's been passed down generation to generation. And we've now, we're now in a, a world where we don't have to fear the unknown in that biological way in the same way that our ancestors did. Sure. And yet, because it's still in the genetics for the most part, the things like I fall in line with the herd because it is the safest place to be, 
um, people, people are doing it. And so it takes a lot of courage to say, I'm not following the pack. And it's funny because we used to associate that with entrepreneurial, entrepreneurialism, entrepreneurial. You got, you got it. Effort, right? <laughs> yeah, you're good. And, and like we used to associate that as being like away from the pack. And it's funny because now it's its own pack. You're right. Like being an entrepreneur is no longer necessarily the abnormality. Being an entrepreneur is like the hip, cool thing to do because of the internet, honestly, because yes. of the internet. So, um, and so it's important. I think I, I've been looking at a lot of evolutionary biology recently because I want to understand the reasons why people are making certain decisions. Because for the most part, guy on this planet, most people are living out unconscious belief patterns. And it's not because, and if they're unconscious belief patterns, that means they didn't choose them consciously, which means that if they're doing something that we don't necessarily like to see, it's not because they're choosing it consciously. It's because there's some reason unconsciously that's playing itself out. And if we can understand where that's coming from, we can be of more service and more supportive to help them shift into something that might be more preferable. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Uh, my latest post online actually said uh, philosophy never healed anything. You know, it's just like, because, like for, for the exact reason that you said, we've been looking at uh, psychology and it's very effective in, in certain degrees as far as uh, I like to separate in like Ken Wilber's way, like growing up work is different than waking up work. One's like clean up, one's actually like reaching higher states than different structures. Um, <clears throat> so like I have found that most people are still dealing with philosophy, but if you're dealing with philosophy, it means that you're trying to speak it into existence. You're trying to understand it into existence. But much of what you're saying and what I believe too, from studying like things like epigenetics, evolutionary biology, you know, call it what you will, is that most of the things that we believe were passed down before we had language, precognition, right? Uh, precognition, preverbal, and because of that, you really can't hit the core of it until you actually feel what you felt either at that age and you feel it through. And, and you actually feel safe feeling it through. When the body feels safe to feel something like a sensation, suddenly you can be present. Everything becomes available in this moment. And you're not doing what our ancestors or what many people on the planet are doing, which is saying that sound is making me have this sensation in my body that I've been programmed to believe that I'm not supposed to be having, right? Whether that's fear, or anger, or depression, sickness, sadness, right? Like all of it is just part of being human. So every one of those things that we say, hey, you're not supposed to feel that that sensation in your body is no good is the parts of ourselves that we shut off is how we feel less and less whole. And this is why I think a lot of times something like self-love becomes lost because it becomes a philosophical debate. And and that's kind of what I wanted to ask you because going back a few years, I'll I'll be 36 in September. I think you're right about the same age. 34. 34, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when I moved to San Diego is a really different conversation than the conversation in New York. It's a really different way of living kind of different vernacular. And I remember people used to say certain things. I'm like, that sounds really sweet. I'm like, but nobody knows what the fuck you're talking about. And if you said that to a person <laughs> in New York City, they would place you in front of a taxi cab and run you over because you sound like an idiot. Um, but you know, at the time, what I, I was always struggling with self-love because I, I was trying to figure it out. Like There's this formula that I'm not understanding. And I remember a specific moment. I was uh, at Landmark Education, maybe like 10 years ago. And I was sitting there and that, that education is really powerful in terms of like shifting paradigm, becoming really efficient, learning how to get shit done, getting out of your own way, fear no longer driving the ship. Um, but I remember someone sharing something that was very moving 
very powerful and very sad. And I remember not feeling very much at all, like almost like nothing. I felt like an icebox. And my next thought was, for some reason, this just came into my mind and it scared me. I thought to myself, when's the last time I really felt, felt, not heard, and I love you for my mom? Like where she hugged me and I'm like, oh my God, this woman loves me so much. And I couldn't think of an example. I could think of many times where she said it, but I, I, I could think of none that where I received it. And that really scared me. And it kind of set me off on this path like, uh-oh, I like this work, but it's scaring me. I've become a little bit drone-like and emotionless. And I spent or invested many years trying to do a lot of different practices to understand self-love. So I don't want to give my view on it, but given that the video that hits such a chord with so many people was about looking at yourself in the mirror, that you are the person that you've been looking for. And I truly believe that in my heart's heart that that is the work. But we, you know, that sounds like an oversimplification to a lot of people. If, if you're taking someone who's really green, right, who's been looking at life in the way that I only love myself when I change my circumstances. I only love myself when I find the right partner. I only love myself when I'm attached to these people or these events or this finances. Um, and they're confused about what it means to love yourself. How do you, how do you broach that topic with people today in a way that's really meaningful and makes a difference for them? That's a great question. I think that's the, the inquiry that most coaches, motivational speakers, personal development, whatever, um, that is the constant conversation, right? Like how do we help people begin the journey and, and continue the journey of self-love, right? Um, because at the end of the day, having spent as many years as I have doing all the different types of work in it, it always comes back to that. Always. Always. Mm -hmm. So is it an oversimplification? It's a simplification. I don't know that it's an oversimplification. It's, it is the, perhaps the greatest um, simplification and the beauty of that. It could even be synthesized down to every issue that basically anyone is facing can be synthesized to some level of self-love. Yeah. Um, and I think that for, to answer your question, I don't think that there's a, a empirical way that it can translate to everyone, which is why it is so important for more and more people to get on the train. Because your audience and my audience, while we may have some overlap, it's not the exact same audience. Definitely not, yeah. The way that you speak about self-love and the way that I speak about self-love, even if it's coming from the same place, it's going to be re- it's going to go out differently. Going back to that creative expression, it's going to go out differently. And therefore, it's going to resonate differently with different people. And I've received messages from people who are like shitting on my message, just saying like, yeah, it's easy for you to say as this privileged white whatever. I'm like, bro, I'm not even like white, white, (laughs) less than 25% of what I even am. So like that projection of it's only white privilege that has allowed me to have the viewpoint is not mine. It's your wounding Mm -hmm. that's causing that to come out. And what has really shifted for me most in, in, all of this is I got to a place and by the way, this only happened in October or November of last year where I really grounded it in as a true belief system that every single act, every single one is an act of love Mm. and everyone is choosing love the best they can with the tools that they have. 
that was not easy for me to do, especially as someone who's experienced sexual trauma, especially someone who's experienced some of the things that I have. I, I don't, I don't, um, I spent most of my life thinking there's a right, there's a wrong. There's acts of fear or hate or whatever you want to label it. And then there's acts of love implying that there is some level of hierarchy and being like, oh, once we've hit number 75 on the scale, we are now in love. Where we go, well done. Um, And I don't think that's the case. And so I think that for me, the number one thing, that the biggest message that I currently have for people is that every act is an act of self-love. And if you can see it in yourself and in others, when you can see every act as being the act of love, you're going to develop a level of compassion and a lens of love that will... um, help translate into deeper and deeper and deeper understandings of it, which are infinite. Like our, the, the idea that we'll ever fully grasp what love is. I mean, we're going to, we're going to continue to see the iceberg sure. and to another part of your point, which is that so many people are scared to begin the personal development journey. So many people are, are terrified of it because the, they, what happens when you open that door? What happens when you open the door of, I never receive love from my parents? What happens when you open the door of so-and-so sexually abused me when mm-hmm. I was there? What happens when you open the door of what really happened when I used to pass out drunk every weekend? Like what really went on during that time? Like once you open that door, so many people are afraid that they won't be able to handle it. And that's why for me, it's about safe spaces. What are the safe spaces that we are creating for people to explore that and be supported in that? What are the communities that people can go to and turn to, to be able to go on that journey and not do it alone? That's really beautiful, man. And, uh, and I, I could not agree with you anymore. I would love for you to just expand on um, what you said, I think that that's a point that would add a lot of resistance to a lot of people, like you said, to get to a point to see all things as an act of love. And I agree, everyone's doing really the best they can with the information and experiences that they have. If you ever want to know why someone's taking the actions that they're taking, just honestly look at the world from their perspective. And it's the perfect actions for a person who has that perspective to take. So if someone has done you wrong, or you're in an argument with somebody, it's really simple. Like, you know, we say walk in their shoes but it's like really get get into their paradigm. That's what someone in that paradigm does. That's the action that a person in that paradigm takes and it's the perfect consistent action. So I, I just want to expand on that because I, I agree with you. Not an easy place to get to. It's really funny because you said you've done a lot of work too. I feel the same way. I've done work for about 17 years now. It's like we work really hard to make things really easy. <laughs> yeah, it's like I've worked really hard to make my life very easy or easier and And the more that it really does become about, life gets easier when you stop externalizing things about other people. And it's really just about how I feel, doing my work. If it's showing up, it's my responsibility, right? So um, with that, look, there are a lot of hideous, nasty things happening on our planet. I find that um, in language, in psychology, we've collapsed uh, forgiveness with condoning action. And a lot of people don't forgive because they're like, well, if I forgive, that means I'm condoning this action. And they're two separate things. 
if you don't like, I personally think if you don't forgive, there's this line. Um, like if you're angry at somebody, you drink the poison, hope that they die. Basically, it's like you're the only one getting poisoned, right? So forgiveness is really an act of self love. Yeah, but, but given like there is, uh, when I became a coach, the thing that shocked me the most was uh, sexual abuse. Like how rampant it is, uh, almost across the board. You know, it whatever. I won't even get into all that topic just to not scare people. But um, you know, like with something like that from your point of view, how do you talk to somebody who feels victimized by something like that and say, Hey, even that was an act of self-love, like sh- show me the ropes on that one. Yeah. I mean, even, even better. I, I mean, I've, I was molested at the age of five. So, um, that is a, a personal journey of how, how can I hold, how did I get to the place where I could see that as an act of self-love? Cause I mm-hmm. do, um, w- what I see is that that individual, that man who who molested me, was in so much pain, so much pain, probably like statistically, probably experienced sexual abuse in his own life. Sure, um, and was in so much pain that he was seeking some way to ease his pain. And when seeking that way of easing its pain, it could be through pleasure. That's why some people will, will turn like, let me uh, be. Um, be slovenly with with the amount of pleasure, sexual promiscuity, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, let me take it. Let me try and get power, right? Which a lot of times, uh, rape and abuse in that way is is not even about the pleasure. It's about the power. Um, or let me numb out alcohol, drugs, food, whatever it is. And at the end of the day, any of those things, those actions that, that he may have taken to alleviate his pain or numb his pain and not feel that pain was his act of loving himself. It transpired as him um, abusing me, but that was his way of trying to help himself, to mm-hmm. love himself. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, an, an example I use that always triggers people, so just like a spoiler alert, try not to get triggered. <laughs> Um, but I use, you know, Hitler, Hitler is, it's one of the most atrocious things that I have, have, we've, we've heard of, right? Like millions and millions of people in the way. And yet when I look at his reasons and when he talks about his reasons, he's talking about his love of country and his love of Germany and his Aryan race and like, and wanting to essentially create a an Eden for his people. It's an act of love for his people and the world that he thinks would actually be better for them if he did this. Now, do I agree with that perspective? Hell no. Do I condone that behavior of being of the person who molested me or of Hitler? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. However, do I see where there was love at the root of those actions? Absolutely. And what does that do? When we allow ourselves to see it through a lens of love, the door that opens is a door for compassion. And when we have compassion for the, the worst oppressors or the worst victimizers on, in this planet, what we are able to do is see them as human beings and enter into a state of forgiveness, which is empowering. It's self-empowerment. It's self-love to be able to forgive. And more importantly, 
using Einstein's quote of we can't solve a problem with the same level of thinking that created it. If we are trying to resolve, if we are trying to heal, if we are trying to create solutions with anger in our hearts towards the victimizers or the oppressors or the people that we feel have wronged us, we are going to create solutions that are at the same level of consciousness that created the problems to begin with. And so what we can do is see it through the lens of love because that will be an elevated level of thinking. It'll be a more loving, compassionate way of of exhibiting our consciousness. And therefore, whatever we create as a possible solution has the ability to elevate this planet. Hello, my favorite listener. That's you. I wanted to share with you some of the amazing results and breakthroughs your fellow Satorians are experiencing as we speak from being in the collective with us. So if you haven't heard about the collective or what you're missing out, check this out. So Amanda writes, a couple of years ago, I was destitute, living back with my parents at 36. I'd lost my job, was overcome with chronic illness and a strong victim mindset, and I was totally stuck. Through the influence of your training, I'm enjoying a much more fulfilling life. I've moved back home, gotten a great job, taken control of my health, and even bought the car I've always wanted. I'm ready to go even further into my awakening and manifest the life I truly deserve. I couldn't be happier to be part of this tribe of amazing human beings. Robin said to us, thank you. Since March, I've started meditating every day. I've lost 27 pounds. I've resigned from a job that I hated, but stuck with because of the money. And I've already received three new job offers and even taken one of them that is paying more. And I'm much happier. Plus my relationship with my husband is flourishing too. Thank you. And Paul writes, after talking to my daughter, I now know that I feel relieved and much lighter because of it. Thank you again for everything. You guys have changed my life. I feel like I've come farther in the last few weeks than I have in the last few years. I'm so grateful for your help and support. I love you guys. Look, I know this podcast adds tremendous value to your life. My suggestion is head to satoriprime.com forward slash collective right now and jump headfirst into the collective. After all, it's only a $9 a month investment and you'll get access to Guy and I in a whole new way. You'll learn some of the most cutting-edge technology that we share with our best clients, but we can't really share here on the podcast. Imagine you and us interacting with each other live every two weeks for just $9. It's incredible, as you've seen before. So if you're wanting breakthrough results in your life quickly, head to satoriprime.com forward slash collective and begin to deepen your journey as a Satorian today. That's right on. And... I feel like right now, if uh, I won't get into too much on spiral dynamics, but you know, like this generation, uh, for those of people that I know, is like living in that green pluralist type of way. Even what you said, there's no right, there's no wrong. That's very, that's a very like green thing to say. And I, and I, and I'm very much like that too. And the, the irony, right, like the distortion of that is by saying there's no right and wrong, we're being right about the fact that there's no right and wrong. <laughs> and then, and then we'll say like, well, don't oppress people, you know. But it's like we're all one, we're all unified. It's all this like beautiful stuff. And then it's like anybody who doesn't believe that will get oppressed by the people who don't want to oppress people. And I'm not, and I'm not saying that as like it's anything that's wrong. It's something that we get to deal with as we're evolving through these states because that's a very like recent thing, maybe the last 40, 50 years that people even started having this inclusion mentality. And it's funny that you bring up Hitler. I'll, I'll often use him as an example too of kind of just like a little bit of a switch. I, I personally believe um, that we will be very well served and I think it's actually coming now, like in the next year or two, 
by starting to have um, spiritual leaders. Like we've had spiritual leaders in like independent sects, right? Like we'll find them, you get uh, certain people following their teachings and whatnot, but we really haven't had people who we would call like a leader of a country with like a spiritual background. And for me, when you take like things like slavery or uh, what, you know, what happened during World War II or anything else like that, for the same reasons that we've passed down fear the way that we have through epigenetics, we've passed down these cultural genetic predispositions. And science oftentimes starts with things are static. So we've thought that genes were static. We thought that your mind was static, right? And now we find that all these things are plastic and you can uh, upregulate and downregulate your genes through your belief systems and through your emotions and different things like this. So it's like the more we always investigate, the more we find that this universe is very, very malleable. And my, my point here is, is that if we don't start having leadership, and I think, you know, people like me and you, because of the advent of the internet, have kind of become leaders in our own way. And we have people that follow us. And we don't have to necessarily be holding some kind of office to, to make waves and make impacts. But the bottom line is, there's like a, a scarring, if you want to call it, or a marking on us uh, energetically, that until we all kind of like consciously choose to forgive the things that happened in the past, not condone, like Adam was saying, but forgive them. We're going to keep, oh, we're going to keep this energy going. And it's the very fear of it that actually creates it again. Uh, like I, 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 I'm Jewish. Like, so I've, I actually have grandparents who went through world war two that are still alive right now. So I've had to, you know, be in that culture for, for, uh, many, many years. And for me, I actually had to make a choice not to, uh, continue and, and pass that on. And actually say, it's, it gets to stop with me. Like the healing starts here. And my generation, you know, that comes after me doesn't have to believe that there is another atrocity coming because that's been the story of my people for five or 6,000 years. Um, and I think that's important for us culturally. I think that's important with slavery. I think that's important with what happened in World War II and, and many other acts of violence and cruelty around the planet. Yeah, there, I, there's scientific evidence that the the survivors of the Holocaust have genetic markers that they've passed down to their descendants. You can see it in two or three generations. And so when we recognize, great, there is a genetic impact from trauma that gets passed on. Wonderful. How do we end that cycle? We end it by doing our own healing so mm-hmm. that that genetic marker is no longer being passed down to our offspring. And it, over time, if we're doing enough of that, we are literally like weeding out the genetic markers of trauma on this planet. And, um, and so hurt people hurt people. Mm. And so the way that we can help contribute to no longer hurting people is to, to no longer be a hurt person. And to no longer be a hurt person means doing the work to face off with the hurt. And I, I, that is something that you and I have bonded over in a way is because I know the depths that you've gone to do that. Even when we just talk about our work with plant medicines and, sure. and grandmother and when I'm like, yeah, I went down and did a, a you know, multiple week dieta in Peru, like you're like, oh, like okay, like, yeah. going in, got a player, got it, got it. and yeah. and there's a knowing of what someone's willing to face off with. And I just did. I had another interview right before this one, mm-hmm. and 
he was saying that he really wants to um, do ayahuasca, but he's, he's been thinking about it for years, but he's just scared. He's sure. just scared to do it. And I was like, yes. And while some people may have that around ayahuasca or psilocybin or whatever, some people have that about just attending, just like listening to a podcast about something. People have that about watching this Facebook Live. Like, I'm scared about what that may do because the moment that you have awareness that you no longer have to be a hurt person, you can heal and you can literally change your genetics around it. Now, the onus is on you. That's right. There's no longer hiding and being like, oh, I'm a, I'm a victim. There's nothing I can do about it. No, there is something you can do about it. And if you're going to stay at home and complain about how this happened to you and this happened to you and this happened to you, that is totally your right to do it. And I'm not going to listen to you complain about it because you're not doing, you're not making the choice that is available to you, which is to take matters into your hands and say, this may have happened to me, but it doesn't have to be the thing that defines me. Absolutely. And so um, taking rad Radical responsibility over the situation is also very um, unnerving for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I think the cool part is that a lot of us don't think about is that this this uh, movement towards transformation and evolution has always been happening, but there's become an interest in like a uh, maybe we should figure out what these manuals are actually saying. You know, so I I like I'm at a point like what what, what hit me this year is I used to look at people who are doing work like you and I, and I'd go, okay, cool. Like we're the ones that are interested, you know, we're kind of at the cutting edge of emotional intelligence. Um, and, and now I kind of see it's like, well, evolution's happening to everybody. And for a lot of people who aren't investigating, it doesn't mean it's not happening. It's happening at the subtle levels of our body because the frequencies on our planet keeps changing and we can't do anything to not receive those frequencies, right? Like, that that's being propagated through the planet, through people, through experiences. Five G, go into five yeah. G, bro. Yeah. Let's not go, let's not go down that conspiracy <laughs> route. But um, <laughs> but no, no, for real, right? And it's like so. What I see now, I, I've made this example a few times. I really like this. Um, I don't remember what text I found it in, but the guy was saying that even science knows that there's like a storehouse of information that's invisible, so to speak, like a server farm for spirituality. Um, in spirituality, they might call it the Akashic or something like that. I was going to say, that's called the Akashic Records. Exactly. Right. So, but, you know, so like science kind of believes in the Akashic now too. And, and the reason for this is there's all these studies around the planet where they, um, the example that the guy gave was basically like when they're trying to synthesize a protein, the protein bends in a, in a very particular way. It like folds like paper and it always folds the same way. Now, the information for that folding doesn't live in the storehouse. It's not in like the genetic material like we thought. It's not like a blueprint that the DNA gives. So they can't figure out what it is. So the assumption is that it like lives out there. And the reason for this is, let's say you have 10, 11, 12, whatever organizations that are trying to synthesize the same protein. And they're not in communication with one another. But the moment that one synthesizes the protein, the information is as if it's remembered and becomes more easily accessible to the rest. And within a short period of time, all the organizations will figure out how to synthesize that protein. So we've seen this in like uh, ex extreme sport athletes. We see this example. Go ahead. Mice. We see it in mice. We see it in birds. Yeah. Uh, they, I think it's referred to as a morphogenetic resonance field, right? That, that sounds accurate. And we see it in sports all the time. Anybody who's read Stephen Cutler's Rise of the Superman uh, with Hawk. just like Tony Hawk, exactly. Like doing the 900 or yeah. running the four minute mile. It's within a matter of very short period of time, people who are not even considered elite athletes can do the same. So it's like, what makes that available? So bringing that back to like spiritual practice, you know, for everybody wants to heal the world, 
you know, much of this generation and the previous ones too has been about externalizing the work. Like I've done the work, let me share my experiences and there's value in that. I'm not taking anything away from that. The real value though is in all of us doing our work to remember because it's as if we're actually writing or remembering from the Akashic, like making new grooves, which actually makes it easier and more accessible for everybody around us to be doing that work. So for me, it's like, this evolution of transforming ourselves into a more inclusive society is an inevitability of our evolutionary state. And it's not really important whether you look at other people and go, well, they're not doing the work. I shouldn't do the work either. It doesn't matter. If you're doing the work, you're actually causing and creating it easier for that come into like the subtle vibrational field of our planet or system or however much reach we have with this type of evolution, it's already happening. So again, like if you do focus the work, like you've been saying and say squarely with me, like this is how I can take responsibility for what's happening here and how I, how I choose to transform this planet and bring this type of energy into the planet. It really is just you doing your thing. Everything else yeah. seems, seems to kind of take care of itself. Totally. And I, I feel, I often just go back to the most simplistic form, which is, Literally, if you do it, just the people in your life around you will see an example of it being possible. Totally. Just like that in its most simplistic form. Don't even worry about the M field. Don't even worry about the Akashic. Just like the people that experience you, that you interact with, will know an example of it being possible. And that alone opens up the potential for it to be possible for them. Oftentimes, more often than not, what is possible for us, and that's where the infield comes in, is just what we believe to be possible. When you see someone run a four-minute mile, you're like, oh, that's possible now. So other people go out and all of a sudden, something that was impossible is now possible for a lot of people. Why? Because they literally just have the belief. Then we go into a further collective where it's like, imagine the entire world believing something's possible. Now it's it becomes that much easier because everyone believes it. And I think that, um, so in the most simplistic form, just the people in your immediate environment will know that it's possible and that will make a ripple because the people in their immediate environment will know that it's possible. And so- is that reason enough for you to do it? I don't know. You decide. I think so. Like it's yeah. reason enough for me, whether it's impacting in a like energetic field that we can't see or not, there's something just right there in your immediate experience that you know to be true. So, so that's an interesting. Let's like explore that for a bit. You know, uh, because like the internet, one of the things that is effective at doing is propagating ideas, right? And at the end of the day, for me, it's like all ideas are valid if they might not necessarily be true. Um, it obviously propagates a lot of things that people don't want to happen on this planet as well. Um, but we don't really know. We don't have the ultimate picture. Like it, all those things are important uh, just as much. So it's interesting because you can live a life where you're waiting to see evidence. And I feel like that's a very slow way to get to where you want to get going. Or you could say that all things are possible, right? Because they are. We know this is infinite universe and multidimensionality and we can start pulling from all sorts of frequencies. And honestly, like what I find today is like, where, where can you not put your attention? You know, like you, cause there is like uh, our awareness within ourselves is not just the eyes and the senses that we have. There's an awareness that's, it's well behind that. If you want to think it that way. And you could put that awareness anywhere. You could put that awareness on Jupiter or inside your heart or anywhere else on the planet right now. And if you just sit with that, you will start getting information from that morphogenetic field, if you want to call it that way. So it's like, why wait? 
because in our imagination and through our faith, we can imagine anything. If you want to imagine running the four minute mile, you can do that. And guess what? You're going to actively become better at running a four minute mile just by thinking of this. I, I put this into action. I know like a lot of athletes do this, but I'd never actually had done it this way before. And it, it like shocked me when it happened a little bit. Um, a few years back, I, I had, you know, since I've been in California, I don't get to ski quite as often as I did when I was on the East Coast. Um, for, for the lack of winter. So unless I travel somewhere, I really don't get to do it. And I love doing it, but it had been like five years since I went skiing. So I'm on this plane going to Colorado to go spend this like week skiing. And I'm on this plane and I could feel fear in my body because I'm like, oh shit, I'm going to go big country skiing. I don't know if like I could still do what I used to do. I'm a little bit older. My knees are maybe not what quite what they used to be. And I don't quite remember the movements. So I'm sitting there on this plane and I did what they told you to do. I'm like, I'm just going to imagine myself on the ski slopes and I'm going to imagine like just carving down like I used to. And I swear I could, I could feel like muscle activation. I could feel exactly how my legs were going to move and, and, and sway and all this kind of stuff. And it started building this like confidence in me because I was, I felt like I was actually doing the thing. So I get to Colorado and I'm there with my brother and he tells me, uh, we're, we're going up the first lift. He goes, you, you scared? I said, no. He goes, uh, he goes, well, you haven't skied in a while. I said, that's true. But on the airplane I practiced and he kind of laughed cause he knew what I had meant. And I, I remember like carving a few turns and he stops. Like when we took a first stop, he goes, dude, you look exactly the same way you looked when we used to ski. He goes, you look amazing. And I said, it's, it's only because I sat there and had this moment with myself where I did that. So today what I find is I'm not so much interested in how events turn out. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm less attached to a specific lane to get into in order to get achievement or success or whatever the hell you want to call it. I'm actually slowly detaching from needing achievement to feel anything at all, which is like a, a miracle all in itself. But today I'm like, you know, how is it that I want to feel? Like, I don't really goal set anymore. I just ask myself, how is it that I want to feel? And I actually invest a lot of my time sitting in that feeling, how it turns out and what that looks like and the circumstances that surround that. I honestly don't care. I'm like, God, you fill in the blanks. I'm good. Jesus, take the wheel, right? <laughs> that, that kind of thing. Um, and that has been, again, like something I've had to work really hard at to make my life a lot easier. Uh, but it's changed everything. Like in the last two years, it really has changed a lot for me. Beautiful. Yeah, I think that um, in many ways, what I tell my clients, um, you know, I was a, a coach for many, many years and um, I still work with one or two people a year. Um, but the, the thing that I used to tell my clients all the time was um, anything that you can imagine for your life right now is a limitation. <laughs> literally anything that you can imagine in this moment for what your life could look like is a limitation because it's based on the the what is in you now yeah preconceptions of the past and literally in five minutes from now one second from now but five minutes from now five days from now five months from now you're a different person which and you're gonna have if you're on this path of of development you're gonna have so much more possibility just embodied in you and therefore you're gonna be able in five minutes to imagine a couple different realities that are actually different and maybe even more what you want than you could five minutes earlier and so the, the spending time in the visualization of exactly how you want it to look is spending time visualizing limitation. I agree. Yep. So if you can spend your time doing exactly what you're talking about, which is, okay, how do I want to feel? Because mm -hmm. I know that 
no matter what it looks like, if I'm feeling that way, I'm going to be pretty freaking happy with how it turned out. How I got there actually doesn't really matter as long as I feel that thing. Um, it's, it's eliminating the middleman. And that's what I say a lot about money. So many, so many people come and I, I, yeah, I really want to, I want to be making this amount of money. I want to manifest this amount of money. And I go, that's awesome. There's a lot of business coaches who would tell you to set a number and like set that goal and like, how are you going to reverse engineer that and all these things? And I go, I think that's, I think that's ineffective. Sure. Not even ineffective. It's maybe effective to get there. It's inefficient because the money is a middleman. The money for people is a middleman to a feeling that they want to feel or a life that they can imagine based on how it would feel. And so focus on the feeling and then it may not even come through the money. An example I have in my own life for this was uh, my previous partner and I, we were, were in the space of really designing and visualizing and all of the things. And we typed up this manifestation list. There was like nine or 10 things on it. And we printed it out and literally pasted it on the wall of our bathroom. And we had a one bedroom apartment in Santa Monica with this one small bathroom. <laughs> so every single person who came over to our house had access to see our manifestation list, which is a really personal thing, but it was part of this, it, why wouldn't we claim it? Right. And so we had her friends from Germany actually visit and we were going to Burning Man and they read this. And one of the things on that list was a three or four bedroom home with, and then it explained kitchen Island, like these things that we thought were like the thing, right? Like an Island was one. We wanted there to be a Zen area with nature. We wanted there to be like very specific things. And we're in this one bedroom apartment in Santa Monica. And I remember we're at Burning Man with all her friends and we're talking about, they weren't into the spiritual path and, and, but we were talking about manifestation. And we said, I remember saying by this time next year, I'll be living in that house. We'll be living in it. And I didn't care about how it got there, how it wound up happening. What's funny is at Burning Man, it was the final week. We were actually moving out. But for five months, we had been living in a house in the Hollywood Hills, which was the house of this, this famous actress who um, the person who we were living with, we had one roommate at the time who basically had moved to Los Angeles, who did not want to live alone and was basically like, I, I love you. And would you come live with me? Mm-hmm. And we went, well, we can't afford that rent. And she said, just pay me the same rent you're paying now. And so we paid the same amount of rent living in a four bedroom home in the Hollywood Hills with a Zen area and a hot tub overlooking the Canyon by burning man of that next year, mm-hmm. because there was no doubt in my mind that it was going to happen. It was no doubt in my mind that it was going to happen. What I released was the need to know how right. for me to feel like I needed to make enough money to pay. For, that's how I thought it was going to happen, but it showed up completely differently because the universe when you let go of the how, you make it so much easier for you to get what you actually want because there's a bunch of ways that you couldn't even envision that it could show up. I love that. And to me, uh, couldn't, couldn't, again, couldn't agree more. That, that defines more about what wealth and abundance actually is, is it, it just gets taken care of. You never know, right? You just never know where it's going to come from. And I do think way too many people um, think that finances is the path to get there. Or you know, like for me, the undertone of, of being financially solvent is trying to create a false sense of safety for people. It's like, oh, well, if I just have enough, then I'll finally feel safe. The irony is I've worked, as I'm sure you have, with a lot of very wealthy people or people who have gotten wealthy very quickly. 
Um, and the reality is I find with those people, it's quite the opposite. They actually don't feel safer. They actually feel more afraid because here's this thing that they've been told their whole lives that if they just attain it and check all these boxes, you'll have all the things, right? You'll feel good about yourself. You'll be, all these things become uh, abundantly available to you. And maybe for a short period of time, like doing a drug, it kind of like gets you there. But the, the, the crash from that is very hard. And I actually find that most people end up in some of the worst places in their lives, emotionally, spiritually, when that happens, because suddenly all the things they thought were going to happen when they had the wealth, you know, in that way, in that achievement way, um, don't happen. They don't feel better. They're still the scared little boy, scared little girl, freaking out, wondering how to make it all better. But the things that they were told are, are, are the things that are going to solve it don't. And they don't have another plan because there's nothing else that they've been told that can do that. Oftentimes that is what leads to a spiritual path. And you do see a lot of um, breakdown uh, in that space for a lot of people. So yeah, I mean, that's absolutely the way, you know, like a few years ago, uh, Elon and I had two multiple seven figure businesses. I, I got to a point in my life where I can go to the restaurants and not, you know, look over to the right hand side of the menu. I love how, I love how it took two multi seven figure businesses before you would stop looking at prices. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I'll, I'll say this, right? The reality online is that a lot of people share is like there's a difference between your revenue and how much you're taking home. And it's very expensive to keep businesses gr- growing and growing businesses oftentimes cost a lot of money. So I'll just tell you guys this flat out. When people are like, I'm making 150 grand a month, you don't know that they're, you don't know that they're spending $145,000 to make that $150,000. And they're really putting 60 grand in their pockets every year which is really not a measure of wealth. It, it looks really good when they broadcast it and market it. And I could say I've been guilty of that at times myself because you know that's how business is sometimes. So a few years back, you know, like I got into the marketing game not really knowing that that was going to be a path that I wanted to take. But I started working with entrepreneurs. I liked working on their psychology with them because I already knew like I got into entrepreneurship ass backwards from everybody else. You know, most people get into entrepreneurship the business is stagnant, they're scared. So they turn to personal development as a tool and they start their journey with the business. I had been in personal development for over 10 years. Then I started a business. So I had the mindset, the spirituality behind it. And that's why I had kind of those beliefs that you had. I'm like, oh, just give me the tools that entrepreneurs have. I know I can make this work because I knew I had the like, at the time, what I would call a success mindset or whatever. And that's transitioned so much. But, you know, three years back, Elon and I gave up all that income and decided, hey, look, if we're going to really do heart's work, God's work, call it whatever you will, like our life is about transformation. That has nothing to do with how much money we have in the bank. It has to do with how many people we're serving. So our goals stopped being about revenue. And our goals started being about how many people contact us on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis to say, hey, your work is impacting my life. And that, that became the new measure for the company. But with that came a huge transition of, of what was happening financially in my life. That was very scary because when you built a business for five, six years and you've done a few businesses that have earned that much, you think like, hey, 90 days from now, I'll recoup it. I'll just do something else. And the reality is when you transition, it's like starting a new business from scratch. And it, all, all the same challenges come up, even with all the knowledge that we had. And, and we're still kind of navigating that, right? Like we're doing, we're doing well, but it's like, it's just not, not where it was. So yeah, I just think that that's always part of it. I, we, we get into this disillusionment, like when we hit something that will stop dealing with some aspect of life. But I feel like no matter how much you upgrade awareness, how much you do the growing up and waking up work, 
if you're like climbing these rungs of a ladder, so to speak, and you're getting a new perspective on the way the world is, it's almost like everything you've ever lived has to get refiltered through that new perspective, so to speak. So it's like a lot of old things will come back again. You might not experience them quite the same way that you did before, but it will kind of come back again to be like, hey, let me show you what it looks like from this frequency. Let me show you what it looks like from this frequency. Yeah, I mean, we're, it, the the growth game is not linear, it's spiral. Uh, and and so we are spiraling up. And as as we develop and go down it, um, I... I see the same patterns repeat themselves. The interesting thing is a lot of people will see those, oh, here I am dealing with scarcity around money again and think that they've just circled back and they haven't made any growth when in reality you've spiraled. Congratulations. You're now actually at a different level of the, the same conversation, but it's a different level. The fact that you're seeing it again means that you've up leveled. It's like, like Super Mario Brothers, right? Like it's every level may kind of be the same. It's like, oh, here I am going to, I need to get all the way to the end and jump on that flag. Right. Great. Like here I am again. And, but it's a different level. And so for me, like even now, man, my, my current, I had a conversation. I think we, we moved this back. Like I needed an extra five minutes to finish a phone call yeah. with a mentor of mine where I was asking about, he's, he's raised billions of dollars in his life. And I was asking about scarcity because I noticed that in my life, like currently, one of the things that I've seen a pattern showing up over the past couple of months is starting to constrict around money. Mm. Like, why is that the case? I have more money than basically I've ever had. Where is that coming from? And realizing that even now, I, I used to, it, to be intuitive and, and flow freely and all the things back when I had credit card debt and different things was like, I had nothing to lose. And for some reason I had created this attachment like, well, now I have something to lose. Right. And that, that feeling of, oh, I don't want to lose it is the constriction when it's like going to Erewhon and spending $60 on three items. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. I used to buy all of my groceries from the 99 cent store, like the, the, the produce and all of it. And didn't think, tw- didn't think twice about it. And then when I remember when I started going to Trader Joe's and being like, oh my gosh, look at, I'm at Trader Joe's. And then remember when I started going to Whole Foods and like, I can see this progression, but every time, like every time I moved into a new apartment that had more rent, every time that it was like a re- there's like a like an expanding into this this new thing and it doesn't actually matter like having the money in the bank account doesn't matter and i imagine you can attest to that there it's not it's not about the money because if i think that the money is going to 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 cause me to not feel in scarcity there is i am going to constantly be chasing more money every time i feel scarcity i'm like oh, i must i must need to make more mm-hmm. and that will create a pressure that will create a, a responsibility that will create so much that i don't actually want to experience in my life because there were so many times when i had no money in my bank account that i felt so free and so whatever. And so getting back to that space um, is, is I'm going to go, like my current transparency about what I'm working on is as I enter new levels of abundance, how do I not constrict around a almost like similar thing where a certain amount of money is going out and a certain amount, like I want to shop at at Whole Foods or Erewhon. Why? Because I value the, the the quality of the food there and going to the grocery store and spending that amount of money feeling like, okay, this is okay. 
<laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and not being stuck in the 99 cent store mentality. That's, that's a current thing that I'm navigating with new layers revealing themselves every, every few days. Absolutely. I find those investments are, like you said, it's, it's another way of saying this is a way to love myself. You know, I, I get to honor this body this way because I know that that is not honoring it. And money, money's a funny thing because there, it's so funny, whether you have it or not, there are certain experiences that you have that you're so drawn to are such big yeses. And you'll drop, you know, like 10 grand on an experience and be like, not even think twice about it. You'll go to a store, right? Something that costs like $5, but in this store it costs eight. And you will get so livid <laughs> about that three dollars. You're like, fuck that three dollars, and you're just, you're just feeling that anger in your body. And then I'll sit there and just laugh hysterically at myself at the things that will and won't irritate me because there's like a lack of alignment about that thing. Really? I'm not taking this Uber because it's surge price. It's one point two five percent. I know. I know. It's like you know, whatever. I was gonna get to some some political thing here right now, but I'll leave that alone. I do like I do like this. Um, this thing about spiral, right? And I think that's why spiral dynamics talks like this too. There's a, what I've come to accept is that there's always a distortion. It doesn't matter how awakened I will be. I'll be distorted at that level of awakeness. That, that, that's how you learn and evolve through it. And evolution is uh, it, like evolution is increased complexity. Well, I would, I would be, the word distortion carries different meanings for different people. Sure. Um, and I think for a lot of, especially the new age spiritual communities, like distortion, <laughs> like this, like the, like the Illuminati or the reptilians or the whatever, like, so um, I would, I would just give it where I don't believe that I can, I can see reality no matter what level I'm at through anything other than the lens of my belief systems. Absolutely. So is it distorting it? Possibly, but it, it's just the lens through which, like you're seeing it through a lens, I'm seeing it through a lens. It's not distorting what is, that is just the only way that we can perceive it. Yeah, it's like, a, we're, all right, like reality is a mirror reflection of these frequencies and these beliefs that we have. So it's like everyone has their own funhouse mirror, so to speak, and it's bent just a little bit differently. Um, and that's kind of what it is. So for me, it's like distortion is, like you said, it's like a lens with some dirt on it. Um, and I feel like the more we learn to sit in pure witness CR, what, what is called like the original face, so to speak. Um, the cleaner look you get, but it doesn't mean that you actually have any clue on what reality is because it's arising so quickly and unfolding all the time. But like, I used to get really upset when things would come back around in my life that I thought I had quote unquote handled yeah. because I'm like, why is this here again? I've done so much work on this, but now I see it's like, oh, okay, cool. But it's coming through because there are so many layers because evolution is this complexity. If you keep looking, right, we went from like sim simple organisms to more and more complex machinery. AI is going to be part of this evolutionary process too and how we biomechanically maybe put that into our systems and we become even more uh, complicated. So it's like, uh, just like the video game, it is the same level, but every level added another element, right? Made it a little bit more complex than it was before, a little bit harder, even though you're using the same mechanics to move through the level. Um, and I do feel like life is kind of that way. It, it, it is so much like a video game because every video game these days, not every video game, but I haven't played in a while. You start with the avatar with like all the superpowers, chapter one. Chapter two, they strip you of the whole thing. You got your glimpse, right? Like that's what, it, that's what you're working for. And, and now it's like you got to go on the journey's hero through this evolutionary complex, like complexity process to remember how you gained all those things. And I feel like even with ayahuasca, that's oftentimes what you get. Or with peak experiences, you get a glimpse. Now it's like, hey, look, you know that's available to you. Learn how to stabilize that. Mm -hmm. 
right? Yeah, that, I, I was on a vision quest in the desert um, and like sleeping on the ground in a sleeping bag kind of situation in the desert with one guide. And um, my voice unlocked, my voice, I I'd spent my entire life thinking I just can't sing. And it was the most beautiful sound. It was so healing and, and wow. I've kept some of it, but I haven't sung like that ever again. And it's the thing that's shifted for me is I go, I know what's possible here. Right. Now the question becomes, am I going to do the work to cultivate back to that? Cause I know it's possible. Or am I going to say, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do vocal warmups. I'm not going to do those things. And if I choose to do that, great, but just don't complain about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the thing that gets me is like, there's anything's possible for you. When I, when I speak to people, anything's possible for you and you're the life that you desire. And will it take work? Will it take effort? Will it take energy? Absolutely. And the thing is, just don't complain about it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Make your decision and live with it. Be like, you know what? I just don't want to work that hard. I'm, I'm happy being 50 pounds overweight and, and not liking my job very much, but I enjoy my weekends and I enjoy this and like, I'm, I'm cool. I'm going to do that. Great. Awesome. Own it. Love it. Yeah. And because the best thing that we can do for this planet is love life. If everyone on this planet loved life, it would be so contained. It would, it would shift this world maybe faster than anything else. Like forget the solutions. Let's just learn to love life. And Mm. Um, so if you make a decision to stay in the job that you hate or the relationship that you're not happy in, great. Just love that decision. Say, this is the decision I've made. I'm going to make the best of it. Great. Cool. But don't go around lamenting how life is unfair. Don't go around complaining about you're a victim. Don't do that stuff when you're not taking the action to shift it. Mm-hmm. Uh, agreed hundred percent. I love everything about this conversation we could probably jam out for hours for just people listening. So, you know, your experience, you've done many, many things. You continue to do that. You had mentioned, uh, and I've seen clips of it. You've been producing uh, a show that's kind of like following you through these experiences. Um, today, uh, what do you feel like has been the best experiences you've had? Like, what are some of peak experiences uh, that you would recommend to somebody who's really, really looking to dig deep and kind of do the work? Like, what's up there for you? <laughs> I always start with with plant medicine. Uh, right up at the top of that list because it was the turn. It was the catalyst for my spiritual awakening. It, mm. it was, and it continues to be a, a one of the greatest guiding lights in my life. Is the plant medicines and ayahuasca is is probably the the main teacher that I've had um, and. I, the laundry list of of medicines that I have tried or experimented with um, are a lot. Yeah. So um, I just believe that when we talk about how do we help this planet, who better to ask than the planet? And so and so uh, the consciousness that exists in these plants. Uh, is something that I like to tap into and just ask, how can I be of support? How can I be of service? How, how, what can, what can I do? What can I receive? What can I allow to be a better um, messenger of love and light for this, for this planet? And 
Um, so that's a big one. And then honestly, the, where I would go, like I've done all the things I've hired a coach. I tell people all the time, get involved in some sort of support system. Yes. I don't have the money to hire a coach. Great. Get in, I have a free Facebook group called it's the art of choosing love. It's a free Facebook group online. Do that. I have a podcast. We're, we're doing a pod. Like there are free podcasts. There are free Facebook lives. My spiritual journey started. I was watching hours of spiritual YouTube content. And it's funny because at the time I used to smoke weed, get order a pizza and like watch, you know, the walking dead. And what that shifted to was, Oh great. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to smoke weed. I'm going to order a pizza and I'm going to watch a bunch of spiritual videos on YouTube. Like whatever that initial starting point is, whatever that, that is do it. And it doesn't have to look any other way than what works for you, but start. And, and there's plenty of free ways to do it. I, I don't buy that the, the financial being the excuse for why not to. Um, but coaches, workshops, um, those sorts of things. And um, a big one for me is creating artistically creating because a lot of your stuff will come up. A lot of the resistance will come up when you start to sing and dance and play music, like that resistance. And when that resistance comes up, it becomes a feedback loop for the areas that you can look and learn to love yourself more. Beautiful. Great answer. Over the last few years, what do you feel has been like the biggest shift for you from maybe how you were seeing things before to where you're at now. I know that's maybe like a hard question to pinpoint a particular thing, but even in the field space, like that you were very sure about something and it was going in a particular way and seemed to be working. And now it surprised you. Something has like shifted. And I can feel it about you that something like that has shifted. You've kind of pointed at it a few times. Could you give that some language? Yeah. Most recently. Yeah. Most recently, what has shifted for me is letting go of the idea that I needed to place my happiness on hold in order to heal. And this is, was, was it, it seems, seems like simple. Um, I, I, I feel like this is, it seems so self-explanatory, but it, it's a different thing where I was like, wow, I, I need to like heal. I can't be happy. I can't be this. I can't oh, be, yeah. Until, until I'm whole, I got to I got to deal with this trauma in order to actually be happy. And instead, I've just seen that. What does it look like to pursue the breadcrumbs of joy and bliss and happiness? What does it look like to pursue that and allow that to be my guiding light? And then when something shows up that is not what I desire, be like, okay, let me deal with that. Wonderful, but I'm going to deal with it while continuing to follow the breadcrumbs of joy. That is a different perspective than the, the like, let me dive into the shadow because it's a nest. Like the idea of the breakdown to the breakthrough, I think is one of the most disserving um, perspectives on the planet right now. And it is so prevalent in, in personal development work is this idea that you need a breakdown in order to have a breakthrough. There's a difference between choosing to use the breakdown for a breakthrough that is a different thing than necessitating, correlating your breakthrough to your breakdown. Absolutely. Brilliant. I have found over the years, because I've, I've been doing, been sitting in ceremonies now for almost six years, probably more, or right around there. And that, that was a big changeover. I used to look at it like the warrior who's got to like get your back straight and like take it, you know, it's like this hard work and oh, it's uncomfortable everywhere. And I would kind of like fight its way through the system until I found a little bit of surrender 
now when I drink medicine, I actually think how much pleasure can I receive? <laughs> I'm like, how, like how much can I really accept? Because the, the thresholds that I find are not that I'm not challenging myself enough. It's that I hit a part where pleasure hits the system and the system goes, uh-uh, I can't receive that much, mm-hmm. right? Like a, like a compliment that you can't receive, right? And, and mostly it's like the ber- how we berate ourselves internally, the inner critic of the, inner, of the mind is like really the stuff you heard from your parents or the perceptions you have about what you thought you heard from your parents. And it's like, those are the markers that hit. And I find that with money too. It's like, even if you're making a lot of it, it's like, you just don't even know where your subconscious markers are. Like you might be like crushing it, crushing it, crushing it. And then you hit 120 grand a month. And that for some reason, there's an association with that number that scares the system so much underneath your consciousness that the system will actually start setting things up to sabotage and get rid of that money in any way that it can, whether it's gambling or pornography or drug usage or going to Vegas too much or whatever the fuck it is that you do as an entrepreneur. There's like that stuff. And if you're not sensitive to the subtle energies within the system, you oftentimes miss these markers as the transitions are happening within the body that are trying to tell you, I'm scared again. I need your attention. And, and circumstances don't change this. In fact, they highlight more of this. And I do think that's why plant work is, is so important. And especially even like do, consistently doing it for the evolution uh, of yourself because the relationship with the changes. I do, I, I have come into some new knowings that I don't quite rely on it the same way that I used to, particularly because I understand now that when you're in states like this and dealing with those frequencies, I feel like they're never coming through quite as clean as it could be because you're not in state with who you are. You are somewhere else a little bit. So it's like, yes, there's amazing information coming through the information and the experiences has changed in my life and transformed it drastically. Right. So caveat to that, but there is a, like everything else, there's a distortion to it and it's uh, keen to get sensitive to the distortions that are coming through and always feel through when you come back into state and say, is that still in alignment for me fully all the way through? Like, uh, you guys don't know this, but the reason like Adam and I got connected is I was down in Columbia in a plant ceremony. Like, and Adam is not a guy I talk to on a regular basis or somebody that I think about regularly at all. But there's his smiling little face, right? Like looking at me while I'm having this plant journey. And I just, it like made an imprint on me. And when I got out, I checked in with my system and I'm like, okay, like it's basically showing me a message. Does that resonate with me to reach out to him? And I did. And his response was, I take it very seriously when mother, you know, shows you something, grandmother shows you something um, because of his own experiences with it. And that's how we ended up connecting. And that's kind of what led to this uh, podcast. So I just wanted to, to add that in there. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you're saying. And at the end of the day, um, if you're on a path of development, if, that, if your intention is to continue to grow as a human and in this lifetime and elevate your own consciousness, then your shit will come up plain and simple. So that, that's, that's part of it. Now, if you know it's an inevitability for the stuff that's not a match as you call in more love to rise to the surface, you have an option to walk the path of the shadow and dive into it and exist in it and be in it all the time in order to be with the stuff that comes up or walk the path of play and fun and joy Either way, you're going to grow. You're going to, the stuff that's not a match to that. To tell some adults to go play 
their stuff comes up. Sure. Their stuff comes up. Like, no, I have these responsibilities. No, I feel like I need to do No, I can't. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to look stupid. Like your stuff comes up. And so my, my honestly play as personal development is, is my motto right now. I'm following mm-hmm. my, my happiness and my excitement to the highest level. Um, and that's, that's when I work with my clients, that's, that's the approach that I'm taking. And, and when I speak on stage, that's the approach that I'm taking. And it is my current message. Love it. Awesome, man. Thank you for sharing all that. Uh, anything else that you want to leave people with before we wrap up? Uh, anything to leave people with? Um, yeah, I think that the last thing I'd like to say is joy is contagious. We, we know that because we love being around people who love life. We love it. Like people who are just smiling, happy, like generally we love it unless you're one of those people who's so unhappy, it triggers the shit out of you. Mm. But like generally we just love being around those people. So how can we spread it? Become one of those people, become one of those people, whatever that looks like, plant medicine, coaches, workshops, whatever, like what is the way in which it feels true for you to take a step? Listening to us speak about this, great. What is the step that you take now that you've heard this? Don't go back to your life and do not do nothing on it. Take the action. Take one step as a result of this, not needing to know what step two or three or four looks like, but just what's the one? And I encourage you to do that. And I, if, if you just continue to say, what's the next step? What's the next step? Before you know it, you have walked a mile. That's right. That's beautiful. Yeah, I, I have found um, in my own work, like some of the things about joy, right? It's like effort, effortless joy. We have all these like little markers. Like if you compliment somebody, sometimes when people say great things about you, you'll, you'll want to smile, right? It's inevitable. It's like, oh, thank you. But you find it difficult to receive it. I've caught myself where I like like hold the edges of my mouth down so that people don't know that I'm enjoying what they're saying. You know, I'll get that really stern, like, yeah, that's cool, man. That's cool. But it's like that, that's what doesn't let the the joy through, right? It's like, you're, you're not even receiving who you are. Cause oftentimes people really tell you who you are, but it's not a match to your like inner belief about yourself. So if it's not a match, you go, Oh, that must not be true. This person's lying to me. And the reality is your friends and people around you see you more cleanly than you see you because you're, you're looking through all your distortions and all your programs. So I, I, I totally dig that and love that. And, I, and I'm, I'm the same. It's like the pursuit of pleasure without attachment. It's like, be, be a pleasure junkie. Find, find, find ways to just be in pleasure because joy is contagious. I met, I met a mentor of mine like many, many years ago. I was probably like 20 or 21 years old and this guy walked in and I remember him just how he was talking to people caught my eye, but like made me feel something internally. And we like walk up to him and just kind of rubbed my shoulder on him. He's like, what are you doing? I said, whatever the fuck this is, I want more of it. You know? <laughs> and so it's, <laughs> Cause I didn't know what it was. I'd never seen it before. Um, but I agree like people, you know, and maybe it's not even joy. People want authenticity. Like if, if you're sad, do sad really, really well. Like do it to the best of your ability. Watch my show. There's a lot of sad. There's yeah. a lot of crying. There's a lot of it. And just like, just be real, man. Be real. Yeah. And this world is screaming for, for a lot of authenticity. So uh, yeah. Adam, yeah, man, uh, you're definitely a brother. I honor you and the work that you're doing on the world. It's just open heart individual that is doing good and wanting to do more. So uh, love you for that and, and everything that you're up to. Thank you for being here today. Likewise, brother. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for everyone for listening or watching adamroa.com, adam.roa on Instagram, the deep dive podcast with Adam Roa and 
The Art of Choosing Love. Beautiful. Yeah, I was going to uh, say if you wanted to promote anything and we'll, we'll get all those links for you guys when the uh, episode goes live. So thanks guys for being here. We'll see you next time. Bye everybody. Hey, hey, before you go, I just wanted to remind you to go lock in your $9 per month for life offer to join our collective. I promise if you like this podcast, you will absolutely love what we're sharing inside of the collective. Again, just head to satoriprime.com forward slash collective and you can lock that price in. These are the same tools that we share with our personal one-on-one clients and those guys pay us tens of thousands of dollars to work with us. You can have them for just $9 a month. Again, satoriprime.com forward slash the collective. And as always, we'd love to hear your honest reviews of our show. So if you head to iTunes and leave us a review right now, you could actually be next week's lucky winner. And lastly, if you do want to connect with Guy and I, head to Facebook right now, join our personal development without the fluff private group, ask for permission. There's a ton of amazing exclusive content there as well. And you get to communicate and interact with Guy and I on an ongoing basis. So as always, thank you for your trust, your loyalty, and your listening. We do not take it for granted. We really, really appreciate it. We love you and we'll see you next time.